Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This second series of the podcast is presented under the banner of COVID Connections, and I will be chatting with several of the fabulous people with whom my path has crossed over these challenging past 12 months. My guest today is Paul Gorman, a hidden giant who runs a company of the same name. Through their work, Paul and Hidden Giants support people who have big ideas to take brave steps. Paul likes to embrace uncertainty and ask the questions that others are often not bold enough to ask. He also says that he keeps giving himself job titles that are almost always made up, but in his words, it's not important anyway. What I do is what matters. Welcome to this next edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Uh, Today, my guest is Paul. So good morning, Paul. It is morning. I think. Morning, Jean. <laughs> and um, I am drinking a black coffee this morning, so that is my um, usual drink of choice. Um, have you got a drink, Paul, or are you just uh, end I've up as you? No. no, I've had mine. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's past coffee time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to confess, this is my second. So my, hus- yeah. my husband's out, he's out of eating, so I've been able to sneak a second coffee in without him knowing, so that when he gets back, I can pretend it's only I've only had one. Yeah. Nice, like it. <laughs> cool. So, um, as ever, we will begin this conversation with a quote and see where we meander. Which, yeah, knowing some of the conversations and the campfires we've been involved in, who knows where this next half an hour discussion could go? So, would you like to share your quote, quote or whatever you've brought with us? It's like show and, tell, show and tell at school. I love it. Um, so it's by Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, and it's, there's, I will explain why I picked it in a minute, but. It's the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Um, and I picked that for a, for a few reasons. One, my daughter's called Eleanor. And when she was born, um, lots of people sent gifts and we, we decided to make a, like a thank you card for people. And I was looking for different quotes. And that was one that I found um, by another Eleanor. Um, and so there's something about that connection to my daughter and, and this sort of idea of the, the future is hers as long as we believe in her dreams, which sort of connects to a lot of my beliefs and philosophies about what learning and education should be in terms of the voice of the child and how participation in democracy can sort of overcome some of the, the challenges that we currently have. Um, and the connection, I suppose, that dreams have to our imagination and how imagination and storytelling um, are the reasons why we are who we are. And so it connects to sort of the core fundamental um, principles of what it means to be human. So for all those reasons, I, I chose that quote. Fabulous. I love it. And I'm immediately drawn to the word dreams um, with, yeah, dream chaser, chaser of dreams being kind of something that I sort of, yeah, I like to do. Um, so, yeah, I love, and I love the idea that dreams are linked to imagination and imagining what could be possible and not being constrained, maybe? Totally. I, I read a book a while ago, Sapiens, which was all about our history and how we got to be the most dominant species on Earth and, and we're the most dominant species because we have that ability to imagine what's not there and then construct narratives around that that then move people or move civilizations along so it's if it's gods or money or idols or the beginnings of science or war like it's 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 our ability to do that and and i, and I love that it's like shit 
So it's, it's it's not all about numbers. It is about imagination and storytelling. And I think that's what's needed now more than ever is, is to appreciate that the thing that we need doesn't exist. And therefore, what is required is is this thing called imagination. And so let's develop it in abundance and, and let it grow, which then connects to dreams and the power of dreams and all that sort of shit opens up. I know. So what what's missing then in terms of you know, why we aren't able on, and I don't say we, and that's very generalistic, but I suppose we as society, you know, what's missing that means we aren't dreaming as big as we sh- could be or should be, or, um, yeah, need to be maybe right now. Mm. Yeah. Only a little question to start the morning. <laughs> and I suppose I answer so many questions with, I don't know, but I think it might be something to do with. Um, and I and I think I would respond. Uh, I, I think it's about values and, and what we value. Um, and like, th- there are some core things that potentially we should be appreciating more within our society, definitely within our children. Curiosity, imagination, collaboration, um, lots of skills that are connected to creativity. Um, because it's it's those things that allow something new to come where what we have too much of maybe I would argue so what's not missing is is too much of the knowns and so if you just present knowns to someone then it leaves little room for imagination and that becomes a problem and I would argue we have that is because those spaces become quite vulnerable when you when you open up spaces that we don't know that require us to use our imaginations or collaborate, like the, the vulnerability that comes with that can be scary if if we haven't nurtured and curated that within our, our children and young people, which I would argue we, we don't. Um, and I think that's what's missing. But how we go about sort of resolving that, I think that's where the tensions open up because there's lots of people who just don't want to go into those spaces. Mm, and it makes me wonder, and you know, these are things I've been thinking about a lot, a lot, maybe to do with sport as well recently. It's like we're so governed by the rules, whether mm. those rules are explicit rules, laws, those kind of things, or whether we just get ingrained into our way of doing. Um, and at what point do those kind of, even like within a family, those, you know, traditions or, um, you know, things that you do as a matter of routine, at what point do those becoming constraining? And you know, it's the work, you know, term breaking the rules is kind of seen as a bad thing. You get into trouble for breaking the rules. Um, but actually, what we need often is to break that frame and see what's possible because otherwise we just exist within that. Um, you know, I've got in my head this picture of like a metaphorical prison almost, those walls that we don't know how to break out of. But actually, often those walls aren't real. They're unspoken or imagined but we still let them define what we do yeah or or even more sinister they're constructed by another power or force that we are not in full receipt of or awareness of and i think that's where it becomes hugely problematic Mm -hmm. because you're breaking rules that somebody other has devised or constructed in a way to control and control thinking control behavior control society and that's really troubling, <laughs> and really troubling. But 
again, it, it's almost allowed. I, I mean, Chomsky quoted yesterday again about this this apolitical society, the society that doesn't seem to want to use its voice or can't use its voice. And so it makes it much easier for these old powers uh, to remain in charge and be in control. And again, it's just why we have some of these massive problems. Mm-hmm. Where is diversity? Where is equality? True equality? Mm-hmm. Where is the voice of the child, the voice of the woman, the voice of ethnic minority, disabled, working class? Do you mean, we know all this stuff. We know that like, if we have greater diversity, then society becomes much healthier. But it still feels really difficult to shift some of these debates. Mm, it, yeah, and I think that's um, there's so many things sparking my head as you were just talking. So it's kind of like, right, which one shall I pick? <laughs> um, but, you know, this I, well... I know we've spoken about it previously, but this idea of um, those things existing on multiple levels. So there's the constraints almost within a family, if you look at it as a small level. So how families behave and you know how things are passed on from generation to generation. And then you could look at a school and, you know, how those things, you know, this is how we behave in a school. This is how, you know, what buildings, you know, library or anything, this is how we behave. And then you kind of look at a community level, what what that community is and so and it kind of you know almost those things like multiply um but somebody potentially from a you know a, a family where they're not um you know encouraged or motivated or given the freedom or supported almost experiences that everywhere they might experience that within a family a community a school everywhere they go businesses organizations you look at kind of the control and you know those sorts of things so it's not just like one problem to solve it's like this interconnected complex web of stuff which almost reinforce those um yeah uh, challenges and inequalities um, and constraints i think that feels quite um a big thing that's come out of what you've talked about so far and i would argue that all in all those places in many ways that, that these constraints are normalized to a point where that's why we can't see it the whole idea is that the last um, animals to know what water are would be fish because they just can't see it. It's like, this is what, what it is. And it becomes like so, so difficult then to unpick that because if there's things happening around me now that I can't see. And so I have to accept that. And it's like, Paul, you're sitting in your living room, but there, there must be things happening around me. I can't know everything if I was you'd be suggesting that you are some god-like um creature that has a spiritual awareness of of everything and anything but but really the minute I step out of my house I go there are things that I don't know there are things that I can't see there are hidden things and that then also becomes scary because you go well what do you do with that because we like to know but everything then becomes again quite normalized because we can usually buy our way out of that so if something feels scary just buy something and it will fix it. And and then I mean we all fall into that trap. It's not like <laughs> but it's just it's just that growing awareness and criticality over pretty much everything that you do in life. Yeah. I think that, that awareness is key. That that's something that definitely has come out for me over the past, I don't know, months looking at things like privilege and inequality. It's and I love that, you know, that that idea that the, you know if there's no water fish are the last people to realize last people last creatures to realize um you know it's stuff that we take for granted and just become so 
much part of our lives that it's not until maybe somebody prompts us or, or they're not, you know, or somebody takes it away. So if somebody takes the water away, the, the fish are like, whoa, <laughs> we're a bit stuffed. Um, but how do we maybe, how can we create that um, sort of circumstance or situation or awareness where people go, ah, okay, right, I see that that's going on. And then my choice is I either ignore it and carry on and continue, therefore that will continue to be, or if it doesn't sit well with what I value, so maybe coming back to that, that you know, conversation around what we value, then what am I going to do about it and how, how can I do something differently? Mm, totally. And, and I would argue that the, that the removal of water has been COVID. And so as fish, we have been out of water. So we, we, we see it. And this is where I suppose I become even more concerned because you can't not see it. You, it's impossible not to see what this is, what this society is. But I don't get a sense that the fish are, I don't know, the fish seem to be crawling further into the, the little muddy puddle that's left rather than going, well, who stole the water? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're just, I, I don't know why, I, I just... I, I, we've had this conversation before about his his master's house will never be destroyed by his master's tools. And it's like the tools that we offer people to challenge and question and think radical thoughts aren't there. Where after what we've all experienced and what we've all seen over the last year, we need to see and we need to understand that there are things that aren't working in our society that, that need to fundamentally change. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I've got the capacity or skill set to do that, because if we did, I think we would have seen difference over the definitely over the past sort of few months, or maybe difference has is becoming manifested in these polarized tribes that seem to be emerging, which are equally not useful. It's like where are these spaces that we can, I don't know, just figure things out. And it, it bring, yeah it brings to mind the quote I, I think it's Einstein but talks about we can't solve today's problems with yesterday's knowledge yeah. and how do we keep evolving and I'm struck this morning by some of the pictures of and I, I think I can't remember where it was but somewhere down in England um of a big massive park area that yesterday you know as everybody was celebrating because we're out and it's sunny and we're having picnics and the litter that's on there this morning is just unbelievable and you kind of I'm sat there going yeah that's probably going to be us Scotland in a few weeks months and it's kind of like how do you know how do we equate maybe it goes back to what you know we were talking about just before we started recording but this idea that there's there's multiple problems and it's all complex and we can't just focus on one thing so we're solving Covid but actually look here's litter which is going to have an impact on global warming and you know, climate, all those other things. And how do we, you know, how do we kind of merge all those and see those things as one rather than isolated prop because it's not, you know, it's not simple. No. No. If it was, if it was, we could just sit here and chat and solve it. (laughs) I mean, it was the leaders debate last night and I was tearing my hair out as I usually do. Every time I shout at the telly, my, my daughter's like, why are you shouting now? Um, but but it is this idea that we we have to silo these issues. So education needs sorted, health needs sorted. You're not allowed to talk about independence unless you've got COVID sorted. And 
again, these binaries creep in. It's like, well, what do you actually mean by that? Because education should never be sorted. Health is never sorted. What you have is this ongoing conversation about what is happening within our public services, within our systems that we need to be paying attention to that allow us to make sense of all these things within the complexity of the totality of the society and systems that we work within. That feels really obvious. And for me, I would want the leaders of our country, our politicians of our country to say there's a message here that we need to get out, that this world is going to become even more complex. Climate change is going to be huge and our children and our children's children will be living in a world, obviously, obviously, this isn't that it will be fundamentally different from what it is today. So what skills do they need? And how have we got here before? And your quote about Einstein is right. What what our children's children need is their imagination to to know what to do because what's happened before has got them into this or this point just now. Mm. And all of that needs a mad radical shakeup. But we need to change the language and terminology, which moves from simplistic answers that offer a fake binary to one of, no, this is complex. Can we deal with the complexity of it? Mm, definitely. And that that kind of re- reminds me of some stuff that came out of my research around, you know, a lot of the literature on change is, a, you know, the, the, the language is managing change. Here's a five step, eight step, whatever model to manage change. But actually, if we accept that we live in a world where change is constant and the pace of change is only going to get quicker because of technology, because of global challenge, you know, all of those sorts of things, we're never able to manage change. That suggests that we can kind of go, right, we're here, we move this change and that's it, done. But actually, we need to be able to, uh, and I started using like language, you know, we need to help people to be able to navigate through that uncertain, that, that complexity and that change. So you kind of navigate and lead change rather than manage it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think there's, I think language is, language becomes really powerful then. Um, and you know, the point about things not being siloed, you know, the, the young people that are in education today are going to be in the, in organizations tomorrow. And yet if organizations and business and I suppose the big bad world out there is still constrained by yesterday's structures, then you know, you need a lot of very brave, courageous young people coming in and to challenge and and also kind of managers, leaders within those organisations who are brave enough to kind of go, okay, I need to change to allow some of these things. Um, and it reminds me of a conversation a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week, I've lost track, totally lost track of the days, uh, but this idea that we're, we're looking to create autonomy in pupils, but often teachers maybe don't feel that they or don't believe they have that autonomy so there's a kind of mi- mismatch almost in and I definitely see that in organizations as well yeah and, and again it goes into this language of how we speak about schools and and the responsibility that we give to teachers about like the, the future of learning or the future of education and it's like well the future is created in the now but that becomes again quite a scary prospect because it's like what well, my decisions are the future and it's like yeah your decisions are the future so what decisions are you making because the future isn't christmas the future isn't this thing that we wait for and expect it to be really happy and great it's like the future is, is being created now so what are you doing to create it and so we again we remove this fucking falsehood of when we get to 2030 that's the future and it's like well it will be a future but 
it could look very different if you do something different now. But it's almost like we just keep waiting. Um, I had this dream last night, going back to the quote, where I was looking at this globe. And I think the problem is that we see the world on a, on a 2D map rather than going, but it's a globe. And you can't just look at one aspect of the globe because you have to understand that this thing keeps moving. And so the totality of the globe or the earth isn't represented on a 2D because the 2D then gives this falsehood that it's fixed and it's not, it's moving. So you, you can't be looking at, I don't know, like Chile forever because you have to understand that on the other side of the globe, Siberia or wherever, stuff's happening over there. So then it moves and it keeps moving. And I think that this is the mindset that we all need to then get a little bit better at holding of going, well, yes, it's Wednesday morning, but if I'm not thinking about Saturday night, and I'm not talking about like cutting loose on Saturday night, but if I'm not thinking about Saturday night or appreciating Saturday night is connected to Tuesday morning, then there's a danger that the that what happens here becomes this falsehood, which is this sort of fake, this fake globe, this fake representation of what learning or life is. Mm. And so you constantly need to be moving out and, and, and figuring out how all these things are connected by just paying attention to them. Do you know what I mean? Paying attention, notice what that is, figure out why it matters and then go, okay, so that bunch of flowers connects to those blinds and, all that stuff just opens up, but we don't. That takes a certain skill set and a mindset to allow us to to enable us to do that. Mm, definitely, and I think you know probably what's important to um, maybe touch on in this conversation is the. I suppose the first the st- first step is accepting that all these things exist, and this is the reality, and this is the complexity, and then all of us kind of going, okay, what are we going to do? And um, you know what it takes is a lot of individuals maybe coming together to start shifting those things differently and I think a lot of the work that you know certainly well you and I have connected and talked about is stuff that we're doing on that daily basis to really try and develop those skills um so you know I think it is kind of um quite yeah quite relevant and important to kind of say okay right and now what so what is the so what so what are we individually and collectively then doing to make those changes to equip young people, adults, the world with those skills that they need. Yeah. And we don't know. <laughs> this is the, that's it. We, we don't know. And I mean, it's interesting because I've got a job where people sometimes expect me to know or for me to go in and tell them what to do because we have cultures where, unfortunately, white middle class male men in suits go in and tell people what to do. And so there's this normalised um, approach of people like me going in and saying just do this and it'll be fine and I go in and say let's explore something and once we've opened enough cans or jars for everything to be out they go but what do we do now and I go I don't know we we don't know what should we do now what could we do now or who could help us do the thing now or and and I think that is where we need to get these spaces of, again, being uncomfortable, being uncertain, being vulnerable, but working as a collective to make sense of whatever this thing is that then will allow a different future to emerge. Like that, For me, that's what it is. But within that, who knows what it is? 
it's that framing, that methodology, whatever you want to call it, that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. And it's in, it's interesting. A lot of you know, I've spoken to um, a couple of others who I've met through um, yeah these weird online spaces that we find ourselves in. And what's definitely coming through consistently is this ability to ask questions and and explore and this idea of um, exploring together. And I think it was with um, Sophie that I was talking about like this idea of when you go, you know, on an adventure, it, you know, sometimes somebody might lead through a different bit. Like if we go climbing, you know, somebody will take the lead and then, you know, you'll go past them and lead the next bit. It's based on the skills you've got and that sort of thing. But also often you'll kind of stand there together and kind of go, well, which way are we going to go? What are we going to do? And you'll kind of make that assessment together and then, yeah, you're there to support each other. So I kind of feel like, there's something in there's something really key about that in terms of that exploring and Absolutely. being willing to do that and Absolutely. that's that's a really different mindset to being you know even just in some of the online you know webinars and things like that you you know there's a there's a mix of people who sign up and and expect to be talked at and told how to fix it but increasingly there's also people who actually don't what they want to come and explore and come and talk and chat and say well this is important to me and this is why and actually i've got this question um so how we keep hold how we keep those spaces and it may take a bit longer to get an answer but it might be more creative in the process totally is it, i'm sure it was a radio four program I was listening to once and it, it talked about the importance of soap operas within our society because it allowed people to gossip in a way that wasn't directly about someone in their lives. So there was a really useful development of of morals and ethics within our society by talking about what Doc Cotton had just done in his tenders the night before. And that happens at bus stops or in staff rooms or wherever. And we don't really know we're doing it because we think we're talking about Doc Cotton. But if you don't have those then your your morals are never brought into question. And so if you're sitting and going, well, that was really bad what Dot did last night, and somebody said, no, actually, I think she was totally justified, you enter into this philosophical conversation about the, the moralities of what... And it's again, it sort of connects to this idea of you're standing at the bottom of a mountain and you don't know which way to climb. And you're going to lean on people sometimes and, and they're going to lean on you. And But those spaces which is why COVID has been brilliant, those spaces are now available online and they move you from your staff team where everybody probably has reached an agreement about Doc Cotton because groupthink has kicked in and nobody wants to say, I would execute her. And I wouldn't execute Doc Cotton, but, but, but that sort of radical view of, you know, actually, it, there's, there's a death penalty conversation about what she's done. Because that's just the way that, unfortunately places of work sort of happen I think there's ways to deal with it but they just haven't and so I go well where are these other spaces these virtual staff room spaces where you are meeting people from all over the world and having conversations that are very intense very quick very deep very funny mostly that allow us to make sense that develop our morals our morals our, our morals and our ethics and our beliefs and then that's the thing that provides a different way to make a decision or a different action because you or Kenny or Richard or whoever are in these spaces with us have totally challenged me to go, oh man, oh man, oh man, 
there's something there that I don't understand or I need to interrogate more. And that is so essential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would absolutely echo that in terms of like, we would never have met had it not been for COVID. And, you know, that's the whole kind of ethos behind like this, this series in terms of, you know, the value I've found from having maybe even the same conversations, but with different people mm-hmm. and realising, you know, that there are different ways. Um, but actually also there are a lot of connections. There are a lot of challenges that we're all facing in very, that have very similar root causes or, um, you know, things connected with them um, that actually it's really helpful to just talk with somebody who doesn't know your exact context because the questions then are genuine but they're also stuff that you probably wouldn't ask yourself because it comes back to that hidden stuff you couldn't see it because it was just there all the time yeah totally there's too many individuals who work in very fixed closed cultures and they are they are they have this ingrained mindset of oh my god the world's against me I'm the only one who's dealing with these problems. And it's not true. I mean, and this is why I think head teachers need to get better at connecting with each other because so much pressure and weight is put on this job of head teacher that it's easy for them to be sort of burdened by all of this. Where actually, the minute the head teachers go and start to speak in spaces like this, they realise that everybody else is having the same horrible problems. And it almost gets like into this competition of all oh, my primary four class or my primary five teacher is the worst. And you go, once we go over that, we realise that everyone's struggling with the same issues. Do you know what I mean? Demotivated staff, undercompetent staff, lack of understanding of the curriculum, pedagogy, connections with family, community. So all of these things are like the same, I would argue. There's difference, but it is the same. And you go, well, could we collectively figure this out rather than leaving it to this one individual to solve all the problems and I go but let's get away from that culture it's not useful absolutely and uh, I'm going to ask you in a minute to maybe offer us a kind of key message or summary from this conversation or that you kind of want to leave people with but I'll just I'll give I'll give you a little minute while I sort of (laughs) reflect on what we've talked about and some of the things that have come out for me so yeah so you've got a bit of time to think um but definitely from this conversation I hear um you know the power of connection with different people that feels really important um the acceptance and acknowledgement that we live in a world of increasing uncertainty and complexity and that requires a different skill set than perhaps we've had before and it's how we support each other and you know create environments and spaces be that community family school organization where we can increasingly explore together as opposed to living within those kind of rules which might be obvious or um it's not even rules for ourselves but stuff that we've just become so oblivious to because it's it's the fish it's the fish and water analogy you know we don't realize that they're there because they exist around us and we take them for granted. Um, so being able to support each other to, to challenge those sorts of things. Um, and, and yeah, just full circling around to, you know, how, what skills do we need to be able to dream and then work together to begin to put those dreams into reality. Um, and I kind of like this, you know, that's my analogy, chasing dreams, because dreams are always something that are just out of reach. And that feels like the same as the future is just out of reach but you have to keep moving towards it and, ac- and acknowledge that what you do today connects with what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So that would be a summary of maybe what I've heard from the conversation. Um, but as ever, I, I leave the last word to 
my guest. So how would you, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to maybe reflect or offer us something that, that we can leave, leave with. I, I, I suppose I would connect to what you've just said there and I would use the word impossible, which is sort of Simon Sinek's thing that if you're not doing something that feels impossible, what are you doing? And that, I think, connects to so many things that we've, we've spoken about in the last half an hour. And it connects to why hidden giants is hidden giants. It's like the, the, the task of hiding a giant feels impossible. Like, where do you get a sheet big enough? Or where do you find a cave big enough to put this thing? And it's like some people will go, well, what's the point? I don't. And you don't. And I think there's a number of people that we have met over the past year who believe that the impossible is the only way to, to go, knowing that we don't know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the future is uncertain. There we go. But thank you very much for, for joining me and uh, sharing your thoughts over the last half hour. And I look forward to many more campfire conversations. Me too. Thanks, Jean. You have been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. My thanks again to my guest, Paul Gorman, and also to you for listening. If you would like to find out more about Paul and the work of Hidden Giants, you can follow them on Twitter at hiddengiant_s. underscore S. Until the next time, take care.